Good evening, afternoon, night, morning, whenever you find a way to watch this. We have a friend of the podcast. We have Dan, the man, Steen Camera, who's been writing a lot lately, been busy, uh, you know, just tracking the CAA and all of its conference moves. As we all know that I think July 1st is fast approaching when all these moves will soon come to fruition. So, Dan, how's it been going? We are just hurtling towards uh, July 1st, New Year's Day, as I'm calling it, New Year's Day for our calendar. The one you and I are living in, I think July 1st is, is our New Year's Day. So until we get to that June 30th, New Year's Eve, it could be as, there could be more news and notes up to that point. I'm certainly keeping an eye on Howard as it relates to the CAA. Uh, there isn't anything concrete, but we're getting closer to the full end of those athletic calendars with uh, track championships at the national level wrapping up in the NCAA. So that's something to watch out for. I'm watching Incarnate Word, and is it going to stick and stay in the Southland, actually, and not go to the WAC? I know that's something that you've been seeing Matt Brown reporting on, too. So anyhow, it's just I, I, I'm staying occupied, to say the least. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, it's been it's been a fun time. While the FBS uh, conference realignment buzz has kind of died down, the FCS, as you mentioned, as you mentioned, the whack uh, with their shuffling of members, that's that's definitely a soap opera for sure to watch. And so it really hasn't had much attention to. And, and then you have all the conference mergers. You have the WAC Sun, the big South Valley Conference, you know. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, all, all the moves going on and happening. I mean, kind of kind of, I guess, building buzz for this upcoming season. I mean, if not, at least 2023 season when all the moves will come to fruition. But yeah. So uh, we won't be talking about any of those conferences. I will be talking about not the, not the CAA, but the preeminent or the second most preeminent academic uh, athletic com- academic college conference in the Northeast, the Patriot League. And uh, I mean, if there's no hint yet, knowing me and uh, what I'm wearing, uh, you yeah. know which school it is about. And so earlier in the spring, Holy Cross announced Bucknell as their opponent for this year's EBW Classic. And so, uh, Dan, I want your initial thoughts on, I guess, both the opponent and the game this year and just Holy Cross's outlook this year. Well, I guess speaking to Bucknell first, I mean, I got to have a lot of love for the EBW Classic in general, seeing what a big hit it was last season. I'm just thrilled to see it come back just from afar. I mean, I I was at Holy Cross for its game against Merrimack, so I did not see the Polar Park edition of their regular season slate. But just seeing how it was a big crowd, a big hit, and clearly the the demand was there for the game to come back. But getting back to Bucknell, I I, uh, interviewed Dave Cicchini before, the head coach at Bucknell, and he's a a great guy. He's a, a Lehigh legend, so he knows the Patriot League, and he's working through a lot at Bucknell right now trying to really revamp their roster to the point where they can compete with Holy Cross with some regularity. But with Holy Cross extending Bob Chesney this offseason, the train just keeps moving. You and I were talking before uh, we, we got on the pod live about the number 11 Athlon Sports, Craig Haley's preseason ranking of Holy Cross, just outside the top 10 nationally. There's a lot of buzz. So I really think I, I read a, your uh, your blog post about how maybe the opponent doesn't match up to the hype that the EBW Classic will get for the fan support the Holy Cross will draw for this game. And truly Bucknell isn't really a Colgate type or, or a Fordham type, or maybe they'd be a team that can, can challenge Holy Cross this coming season in, in 22 for that Patriot League trophy. But despite that, despite Bucknell being maybe more of a rebuild type of candidate, you would look at them that way as opposed to Colgate or Fordham. I still think the game will draw really well. Certainly hope for great weather, but I just think maybe it's a game where Holy Cross would like to keep its record intact, unbeaten in the EBW Classic at Polar Park. And at the same time, they can maybe draw even better than they would have if it had just been a standard home game at Finn Field. You get an opponent who maybe isn't the biggest name in the Patriot League right about now with the way they've been playing in Bucknell. But having it at Polar Park, it just improves the draw uh, for what might not be a great traveling group from Lewisburg. It's a bit of a hike. 
Uh, so all that to be said, I, I think it's, I think it's a, it's a fine move for Holy Cross to make. It's it, right now. It seems like the golden goose of their schedule is that polar park game because I don't see how they could possibly not draw well for it. The program has so much momentum behind it in the first place that why not put any conference rival on there? Certainly not to make it a light decision. It's something that you have to think through. But I'm sure the the Woo Sox had counter items to uh, shift or at least certain things that were limited them and the options they had, which Saturdays were open. Uh, and so that ultimately I think it's a, it's a sensible decision. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, so this year I thought it was going to be Yale was going to be the opponent, honestly, because mm-hmm. the minor league season ends in September. Um, as we all know with, uh, with the September call-ups uh, and MLB, but I mean, Harvard is Harvard, you know, and like for this to be like a huge game for not just locally, but nationally on the FCS level, which I mean, I mean, this may be a hot take, but I think if they were able to get Yale or Harvard in one of these games, which I do believe they will in the coming years, I think it had a chance to be on the level of the uh, the FCS kickoff, honestly. Uh, Maybe a hot take, maybe a a spicy hot take. I like that hot take, though. Is it it really so hot, though, is what we're asking ourselves. Yeah, I mean, because Harvard is Harvard as I mean, I mean, as some people may not want to debate some people that that uh, call the Ivy League elitist and the FCS rank may want to debate. But yeah, like Harvard is Harvard and so is Yale. So um, I'm hoping that next time we'll see those matchups, um, you know, sometime. I'm also surprised they didn't also ask Brian. But then again, travel isn't as much a factor. Like you said, it is a hike from Lewisburg to uh, it is a hike from Lewisburg to Worcester, Massachusetts. But um, I mean, again, that the game sold out and I mean, should sell out again this year with only not, I mean, with 9,000 people with a 9,000 fan capacity, excuse me, at Polar Park, even though I will say that if you're uh, in Lewisburg, you should make the trek just to get your, uh, your small, your smiley ball plush, you know? Oh yeah. I, I, I had to rebuy my, the I had to rebuy my brother since he lost his, but uh, rebuy <laughs> my brother's online since he lost his, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's intriguing too looking at um, Bucknell and, and Dave Cicchini because after the spring season, some teams use the spring season to catapult themselves to greatness. You look at, uh, Alabama A&M, you know, a team that hadn't really put it together in the, in the spring. They end up winning the SWAC when their first HBCU national title. And, you know, they're contending with uh, with Jackson State in the in the SWAC East. Excuse me. Um, when I'm thinking about another team that may have catapulted themselves as well. Let's see. Think about all the conference champions. Yeah. You look at uh, Sacred Heart. Yeah. Sacred Heart is another team, you know, that wrestled away the NEC from Central Connecticut State and continued on that great streak in the or not streak excuse me, not streak, but great trajectory in the fall with Julius Chestnut getting great all-star game honors. So Bucknell, not one of those teams, even though they uh, they rampantly swept through the Patriot League South, you know, the two-game round-robin schedule, yeah. only to lose their final game to Tim DeMore and company in the spring. So expectations are high on my part. Shakini won Coach of the Year, but just couldn't match up because Bucknell does seem like one of the hardest places to win in the, uh, in the Patriot League because, like, Low tradition. It's almost like Georgetown in a way, like only a little bit better than Georgetown because Georgetown, I think, have made they've made it clear that they just do not care about football. No offense to Hoya fans. It's just the way it looks. But um, yeah, very little history of success in the in the Patriot League. I think they haven't been in contention other aside from 2020, the spring season. They haven't been contention since the mid 90s. Um, so very hard place to win, but Shikini, I think is the guy for it with those Pennsylvania ties and knowing the enemy, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So, you know, he knows Lehigh, he knows Lafayette, he knows those Pennsylvania schools and can possibly wrestle prospects from them. And Lewisburg to its credit, I, I made, I went out of my way in 2020. I think it, 
I'm time the calendar's running together for me. I say that every time I'm on this podcast, probably you can you can count how many times I've said it. But I did make my way out there uh, to visit the facilities, and it's a nice, it's a pleasant campus. I mean, I give Bucknell all kinds of credit. Certainly has the rigor of a Patriot League institution. We were you had mentioned academics briefly. There's a lot going for it, but you outlined perfectly uh, the lack of football pedigree is probably succinct way to say it. And we'll see how much uh, Coach Shakini can uh, continue to overcome that. At least I say continue when it comes to dating back to the spring season. That was, you know, they got on CBS Sports Network. We, we remember that broadcast of the Patriot League uh, title game like it was nothing, like it was yesterday. So, but I, I wonder, going back to Holy Cross, like is it Holy Cross's objective to keep this uh, Polar Park game more of a home game more than as opposed to a neutral site game? Because if you bring in Harvard, which is w- within this, the state, so obviously that'd be maybe a 50-50 crowd, maybe 60-40, you know, you'd see the purple, the purple clad uh, shirts, maybe defend the home turf a little more than that. But if you brought Yale in, would it also get closer to a 50-50 situation where Holy Cross would rather it be, since it's basically replacing a, ho- a home game at Fenton Field, keep it a home game or a true home game as opposed to ultimately bouncing a step out to a neutral site situation that I wonder how much that if at all affects the opponent decision or if it's just they're they're full they're fully confident they can defend uh, Polar Park I think that's a great point too I mean I know you joked about uh you know going undefeated in the EBW Classic uh but I mean there is that kind of charm to it too because no one wants to lose in their spotlight game you know it's not like it's not like both teams share the stage you know if that were the case then it would be I guess you know Harvard Holy Cross you said Yale Holy Cross every single year um, but instead it's Holy Cross to showcase and like, you don't want to look dumb on your showcase. It's kind of like scheduling a bad team on homecoming. Like where, I, I don't know if it's still a diss to this day where, where you get scheduled for someone's homecoming. I, I know that's a, a diss as much of a diss as was like, you know, back in the day, but, uh, it might be the same type of thing for sure. So, I mean, yeah, that, that's a great point too. I mean, uh, all about defending, you know, the Worcester wall out of right field. <laughs> I, but I do see the appeal of what if. I mean, Fenway Park is a history of hosting games as well, and and you would know better better recollection than I do if Holy Cross has made its way to Fenway Park. I would presume it has its history, although I'm just making an, an assumption there on that one. But, I mean, Harvard Holy Cross, you would think that that would be something that the Woo Sox in particular would be interested in from their from their side of things is they'd love to showcase their venue and a, a nice place to see a game, a nice park, you know, ex- get exposure to the entire state of Massachusetts in a way with the number of alums just living in the state or from both institutions. So I don't know how much say the Woo Sox have in this opponent selection either. Like, would, did, I wonder if they ever have any preference in who uh, faces Holy Cross, because certainly the Woo Sox have a great name in and around Holy Cross. <laughs> they have their name out there as well, but it's a way to get their brand out there as a, as a, as a source of fun and you know, something to do uh, to other fan bases as well and other sports goers and people of that of that sort. So it is interesting, like how many hands are, are, are in this? Does the Patriot League schedule? I mean, how just how the calendar shakes out based on who's available in the Patriot League schedule? It's just so many variables that I think it can easy, be easy to overlook until you're breaking it apart uh, as we are. Absolutely, too. I mean, it'll be interesting to see like who Holy Cross uh, selects on a year by year basis, you know, looking a little bit ahead, I guess, to kind of turn the page. Uh, you being a CAA guy, um, you know, Holy Cross doesn't really reduce itself to playing the academic build of the CAA. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I always say that. Fair, I always no. say I mean, yes. You look I at it. It's not that, that far off. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not trying to cause beef with any CAA fans, but uh, Holy Cross does play Rhode Island at home in 2025. And I mean, the most I know about Rhode Island is uh, going to the Hula Bowl and seeing Joey Kenny there, you know, representing, uh, you know, all, all the fullback nation out there in Orlando in that all-star game. That's all I know about Rhode Island, though. But um, the Rams out there in Mead, they travel to Worcester in 2025. What's the trajectory of that program? And do you see them playing in the 2025 EBW Classic when that time comes? 
that would be an interesting choice out of non-conference because that would be a situation where you'd have a, I guess if we're still calling it power three FCS program going out uh, to Worcester. And that would be a situation where if certainly it would help if you, you had an Ivy opponent, it just break through the Patri- Patriot League only mold. Like, is this a Patriot League only game at EBW or is it a non-conference eligible game? If you want to call it that, can you get a September non-conference game bumped up in the schedule where it can be held at Polar Park? Uh, because Rhode Island would be a sensible candidate geographically it makes sense if you're it's not a situation where like Harvard I mentioned earlier you might risk getting closer to a neutral site game type atmosphere I think you'd still have a heavily holy cross crowd just because URI I think is more of a basketball brand and it, it's it's alumni probably a little more attached to basketball than football but part of that is because Rhode Island is the lone CA school that has not made a C- an FCS playoff appearance since 2015 I believe it's the benchmark year that's been used uh, by the conference so Rhode Island came close in the last fall season. They did get some breaks in their schedule facing CA opponents who are missing their starting quarterbacks, but they managed to win those games. They were in the hunt for a playoff spot and just it all fell apart down the stretch. Now, Rhode Island got an FBS win over UMass. I believe it was Maine and Rhode Island in back-to-back weeks getting FBS wins over UMass. So, I mean, heck, both teams out of the CA took care of business there, but with Rhode Island's win in, in that case, it looked like they were just getting closer and closer to breaking through. It just did not pan out. Elon served up a real just heart-wrenching loss to have at the end of your year. That's a tough taste leaving the committee's mouth. So long way of saying that Rhode Island is on that doorstep of breaking through in the playoffs, but year to year in the CA, you have to take advantage of when you're closer to the mountaintop because the following season, you might have teams seven and eight in the standings from the previous year come clawing up right behind you. So I think Rhode Island is playing with fire. They have a good roster. Uh, Jim Fleming has recruited really nicely for what, similar to Bucknell's, has been a lack of a tradition of football success at Rhode Island. So certainly the trajectory, to go back to your main point, by 2025, if Rhode Island can continue building, they can keep Coach Fleming in place and don't have a reason to make another coaching change in the century. They can keep that stability that Fleming has introduced to the program. I think they would be a a very, a very appropriate candidate. Certainly you'd have other options. Uh, Holy Cross has done a nice job in variety of non-conference scheduling, I I think. I think some CEA schools like Villanova and Delaware really get locked in on a certain pair of Patriot League schools. Delaware has played Lafayette uh, frequently in the past probably seven or eight years. Uh, Villanova's played Bucknell frequently, but Holy Cross to its own end has mixed things up. And Rhode Island's a good example of that diversity. And I do think coming from the CEA coverage beat, that would be me. I would say you or I would make sense as a candidate, but that's only if they're looking to keep it or look to extend it beyond just a Patriot League only game. I'm sure the Patriot League, the way it sees it, would love to have conference games only continue to be included at Polar Park just because the atmosphere is so great. It's great to put on video. It's a great representation of the conference. It's great to have a close game maybe of two Patriot League schools in a prime location like Polar Park. So certainly there are a lot of competing interests at play, but if it is opened up to non-conference opponents uh, from outside the PL, Rhode Island, if it can keep if it can actually break through and maybe make the playoffs before 25, I think tie it all together, that would probably be the best scenario for everybody involved. Yeah. I think it's an interesting point you make about there being sort of power three in uh in FCS, which I'm not sure what the third one would be. Would that be the big South or. Well, you have the Missouri Valley and the big sky and then the CA. So big I think sky. we have a clear okay, three now, the CA yeah, being a clear okay. three and the Twitter debates are already ongoing. Uh, as of July 1st, especially once we have James Madison exiting the CEA. So that's where we're, that's the three I'm talking about anyway. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I forgot. There's that, there's that East Coast bias, you know, peaking again. And I'm out <laughs> here in El Paso, you know. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like, 
Uh, you mentioned the big three, too. So, I mean, yeah, there's no doubting it would be a big game, which, I mean, shoot, I do have a follow-up question, like, after that. But, uh, yeah, like, it's interesting, too, that you bring up out of those conferences, the CAA seems to have, have the most parity. Like, and uh, using a side-by-side example for me would be the Missouri Valley, where, like, I mean, let's be realistic. A team like Western Illinois probably is going to break through soon. I mean, Murray State, like, I remember telling my friend Dylan – who's a uh, who's a huge college basketball fan. So he knows about Murray State's pedigree, you know, in college basketball. But like I told him, like they're joining the Missouri Valley, like this team is not going to reach the playoffs for probably another 30 years, man. And it, and possibly more if that, you know, the CAA has a parody of the Mac where like honestly, and like the Mac is so sick and it's so cool to see. Like that's equivalent of a power five conference. Like, CAA, what it's doing, I guess that the um, excuse me, the streak of. Uh, I guess every team but Rhode Island making a playoff appearance since 2015 is equivalent to like the SEC doing something like that or, or the Big Ten doing something like that. Of course, you know, it's comparing apples to oranges because like, you know, 14 playoff versus 2014 playoff and all that large spots. But still, like you have teams making the postseason at such a great rate, you know, rotating around. So, I mean, that that's great there. But I will say, I mean, when you say about keeping it a Patriot League game and, and whether that's important or not, do you think that with uh, that Rhode Island's conference, uh, I guess, status in the CAA is enough to make it as marking an opponent as Harvard or Yale. I know Harvard and Yale have the that have the history, especially Harvard with Holy Cross. Uh, I'm surprised how how long Harvard's been playing Holy Cross too, just given a whole Harvard structure in the college football world. Excuse me. But uh do you think Rhode Island has as much a pedigree of like of a Harvard Yale and and I mean the anti Ivy League playoff snobs are going to get at me for asking this question, but I think it's an honest question to be asked. I think it would mean a lot more to the actual people on the ground at Holy Cross to be playing Harvard or Yale. I think they would obviously view either of those two as more ac- academic rivals than, than a URI or really any other like state flagship school, any other like CEA or America East type institution. Or in, in Rhode Island's case, it'd be Atlantic 10, <laughs> to, to be clear, not to confuse the matter there. But I do think, I mean, I'm good friends with a number of students currently at Holy Cross. And I think if I pulled them, I mean, they, they recognize the name Rhode Island. I'm sure a number of them might have applied to URI and they were in the considering that school along with uh, the Hill and, and others. But I think the name recognition of a Harvard, Yale, both in football success within the Ivy League. I mean, the playoffs be damned. I mean, you just look at the stats and the dominance of some of these programs. Dartmouth, I ranked in my uh, preseason top 25 ballot at Hero Sports, and they landed in our final uh, ballot combined with Sam's. I ranked uh, Harvard as well, and, and they were ranked in our final version in addition to uh, Dartmouth. So I have a lot of respect for the Ivy League on the field. I mean, I watched those Friday night Ivy League spotlights on ESPNU. That, that's must-see TV a lot of times because some of the best programs on the East Coast are, are playing in those in those spots in the FCS. So uh, I guess, again, that's a r- rambling way to get around to saying that I do think it would be Harvard-Yale from a local community engagement sense. Certainly current students, I, I would think they'd be a little more amped up to uh, get ready for a game versus a rival like Harvard as opposed to just like, that's not the same appeal in those ways when it comes to Rhode Island, but Rhode Island still makes sense regionally. I guess Rhode Island might catch the attention of more people in the FCS nationally. Certainly you would avoid the issue of having Ivy League haters, detractors, or I mean, I'm not going to hate on the players, the student athletes and coaches at Ivy League schools. They don't make the decision to not participate in the FCS playoffs. So I like to give them shine when they earn it. But uh, I guess if you did schedule URI for an EBW Classic, you'd be getting a spot where, okay, everybody can get behind placing a CA school who, let's say, hypothetically has been in the FCS playoffs between 2022 and 2025. Hopefully that's happened for the sake of the CA and for Rhode Island and for the sake of Holy Cross, if, if that was an opponent they'd like to go with. But uh, now Harvard or Yale, I, I'd have to think that might be the first time that it goes non-conference because it, I mean, you have academic powerhouses going at it, whether you have HC versus Yale or HC versus Harvard, and then you'd have 
I mean, Harvard especially, I just have to think that the overlap of those two in terms of the state of Massachusetts would, would be especially uh, compelling. Exactly. I mean, because at the end of the day, you know, you have the ancient eight. They're called the ancient eight for a reason. Yeah. And I mean, shoot, I'm just I'm just pandering to the, the Ivy crowd. You know, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I, there, there's there's love. I mean, elsewhere in that in the FCS for me or from me. But yeah, I mean, shoot, it, it's still a brand. But then at the end of the day and, and, and in essence, it's kind of like a. I guess all, all the Ivy League schools have that sort of Notre Dame like standing in FCS. I mean, they're the closest thing, like all eight of them are the closest thing to Notre Dame uh, in in, uh, in FCS. But yeah, like, I mean, I have to imagine if they were to, to expand it like past the Patriot League, I mean, it would have to have that sort of a, you know, kind of kind of boom and impact like immediately. Uh, so yeah, I mean, that's just what I see. But I had to ask that with you being a CAA guy. And like, I will say this, like, I would love to see a ballpark home at home with like, uh, with Venerable McCoy Stadium being almost abandoned by the Paw Sox. And it's almost ironic. I'm talking about it, you know, uh, all covered in Worcester Red Sox gear when, <laughs> when we stole their team. <laughs> but um, I would love to see that old that old park uh, for for my hit for fellow history nerds like myself, a works progress administration project um host a football game and whether it's brian or rhode island for a home and home you know let's make the uh let's make the paw sauce classic and, and especially with the sad feelings associated with the paw sauce leaving for uh for worcester massachusetts like it could be a pretty spicy rivalry from the get-go i love i love where you're thinking and, and some of the things you suggested they, they've come true down the line so i take everything very seriously to put it out there because i like the brainstorming Really, that ingenuity is necessary because attendance on average is down really everywhere you look. I mean, even the Fargo Dome is not drawing the way it was before. Now, you could say that North Dakota State has a certain amount of, not I want to say apathy, but like slightly a little less interested in the course of regular season and early playoffs because of their own unique challenges with repeatedly winning championships. And at what point does that get a little bit stale? But I, I, it's still, attendance trends are down. You need to have things that maybe engage new communities. I remember when Delaware played at Maine and Maine had a Portland spotlight game. They played down at like a high school venue. It was certainly a a venue that was decent enough for an, an FC, one FCS game anyway, but Maine went out of its way to go down from Orono to Portland just to showcase to another part of the state, get involved with another part of the community. And those are the kind of games where they'll draw, they'll be big, uh, you don't want to say one hit wonders, but if they get enough to become more than that, then you can start doing it a little more annually or biannually and just get a chance to captivate a different audience because certainly you want to have a strong, broad base of fan support when per game attendance is just trending down. There are a lot of, you know, consumer trends and viewership trends online related to that. But I certainly like the way you're thinking. Uh, your geography is better than mine when it comes to uh, going from Worcester to Pawtuck and things like that. I, I'd start getting my wires crossed there, but you know the history, you've got it. And I do think Bryant, I mean, they, they want to keep getting momentum around football. I mean, there's a reason that they couldn't have made their America East move as their administration described to me, if it weren't for the fact that Big South was there for football and, and maybe Bryant has bigger plans beyond the Big South for football if they can just keep building their program. They look to be competitive at a base level, but that's getting onto a Bryant podcast as opposed to a, a Polar Park Holy Cross podcast. But I do think Bryant could benefit from that, as could URI. So certainly I like the brainstorming. I really do. You, you guys consider consulting. I think you got to consider consulting. That's my suggestion to you. You got to consider like collegiate consulting or something like that because people get paid <laughs> to suggest things like this, I think. See, I didn't think there was an industry for uh, people like me, you know, with like big, uh, big ideas, you know, that, you know, don't pay attention at, at work at times and, you know, have a second notebook where 
you know, I'm, I'm giving myself away, but I don't think my coworker, co-workers watches, but, you know, I have a second notebook where it looks like they're uh, taking notes on work, but it's really just them putting like ideas that are on their minds. So they don't forget about it. People like me, but I mean, certainly like one of my, one of my dreams or bucket list things is to be on, I guess the co- the committee of, of a bowl game, you know, or, or something of that sort. So, I mean, I, I mean, you know, I'll, I'll look into it for sure. I'm, I'm glad there's, there's a, there's a meeting for people with, with big ideas, you know, with, uh, with Dr. Su- Dr. Seuss, like visions of pie in the sky. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, like uh, that, that, that's all I got too. Like, I'm excited to see, you know, I, everything you just mentioned, especially like Brian too, like Brian's rise, because Brian Holy Cross looks like a very, a very viable, uh, I guess, not intersectional, intra-sectional, regional yeah. rivalry, <laughs> um, as does uh, Stonehill too, which is like another school you can go on like a, a tangent on. But I'm excited for the future of, of Northeastern football with a bunch of new programs getting thrown into the mix. So, yeah. Well, definitely reach out to your Fenway Bowl, your local Fenway Bowl. They, I know they didn't get to play in 2020. I believe yeah, yeah, it had it called off like a number of bowl games where it, I guess I can't remember who the matchup might have been in the, in the fall season of, of 21 um Fenway Bowl it's um, it's escaping me now but anyway they're just getting their feet wet too so honestly I, I am dead serious when I say it hey reach out to your your, your Fenway Bowl counterparts out there and and see what see what's up because I'm sure the Fenway Sports Group or whoever owns that they have enough money to, to spin off some some SCS classic special games so uh but no it's it's, it's interesting because I think Northeast College Football does get overlooked of course I think at its heart there, there's an FCS identity to it because most of the programs in the Northeast, when you actually go through Division One, RFCS football playing institutions, but I I really like it. I I think investments like the Polar Park Classic, uh, like Holy Cross, are really leading the way in that regard. So I'd love to see a CA team like your I You got my you got me looking at twenty twenty five now. I'll be I'll be waiting for that to come out. You know, if this game gets scheduled out years and years in advance, if it continues to be successful, maybe we'll get an announcement sooner than later, so we won't have to to wait so long or bite our tongue so long. But uh, now it's it's been a great time uh, catch up with you, man, and uh, looking forward to more of these Polar games. Yeah, absolutely, Dan. I mean, yeah, it's always a fun time catching up with you as well. And yeah, I mean, I hope I hope we got your, uh, I guess, your imagination going for like some of these uh, these games and possibilities. Because I mean, if there's a there's a minor league ballpark, there is a way, you know. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but October eighth, you know, should be a fun time as well. Um, you know, uh, for season ticket holders, I mean, that that's kind of the big draw for season tickets. Like, if you're a season ticket holder, you get you get a ticket to the EBW Classic, and um, yeah, it's a big draw for sure. So, I mean, for anyone going, I'm I may or may not sit this one out depending on a. Uh, you know, on work, on work things, whether I bought enough goodwill and stuff like that to take a, to take a weekend trip or whatever, but you know, we'll see for sure. I'm, I'm already excited. If I'm not there, I'll be watching on the ESPN plus, um, you know, I guess shameless plug for the league's TV contract, but yeah, Dan, unless you don't have anything else to add, I mean, I think that covers it. I hope to be able to see, well, I don't think I'll be able to make swing it up there. I have a wedding in the family this fall. I have oh, man, Delaware and CDA no, this fall zipping all over the place. But I've just I hope that I see that you were there. I hope that's my long way of saying it. Hope hope that you're able to make it there. Uh, because certainly you deserve to uh, get to enjoy it in the flesh because it's, it's it'll be a great time. Yeah, it is. I mean, I, I mean, I saw it last year, which is which is why I'm like kind of like iffy this year, you know. So I was like, oh, I, already, I already saw it, you know, last year. I already had the experience, you know, only experience other things. Um, but absolutely. Um, but yeah, until next time, everyone. I mean, this certainly won't be the last time that Dan appears in this podcast. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, but until next time, everyone, peace, love, and soul. <laughs>